Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. Now, as always, this episode is brought to you by EDMProd.com, an online resource dedicated to teaching electronic producers the tools and tactics needed to make better music. If you want to level up your production skills, whether it's learning the basics, writing better music, improving your mixes, or developing a more creative mindset, we've got you covered. Now, in this episode, I have a chat with Wookie. Wookie is a Grammy-nominated producer who's collaborated with industry heavyweights like Diplo, Skrillex, Kazo, and Valentino Khan, just to name a few, and has released music on imprints such as Ausla, Atlantic Records, Fool's Gold, and Ultra. Now, in this episode, we start off with Wookie's background, talking about the rock band that he's previously a part of called Inner Party System, as well as the golden era of MySpace. We talk about his transition into EDM, looking at the tracks and bootlegs that helped to launch his career. We also discuss how he found his signature sound and why after seven plus years of this project, he's finally decided to release his debut album. On the production side, we discuss how Wookie gets creative with distortion, looking at the Max for Live and third-party plugins that he relies on for adding distortion to his mixes. We also talk about how he mixes his kicks and bass, recording vocals on his iPhone, and whether or not you should use the sausage fattener on your master bus, which is a very contentious topic. Later on, we discuss what he's learned collaborating with artists like Skrillex and Valentino Khan, what he's learned during his Twitch feedback streams that he's been doing recently, and what you can expect from his debut album, which will be coming out this fall. Speaking of his debut album, Wookie just released his first single off the album. It's collab with Diplo and Snappy Jit called Chicken Wang. I'll play you a preview of it as we slide into the interview, and if you like it, I'll leave a link in the description for you to go check it out right now. With that, let's get to the interview. Here's the EDM podcast with Wookie and his new single, Chicken Wang. to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Chris, who releases under the name Wookie. Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, man. I'm doing good. How are you? Not too bad. So to start, I'd like to learn a bit more about your background with music. You can go back as far as you'd like, but I want to learn what got you into music initially and later on music production. I pretty much got into music because my brother started playing guitar. I really just, I mean, I admired my brother and I really just wanted to play with him and be like him so i just started playing guitar too <laughs> yeah. and uh i remember like begging him and his friends to let me in his band and uh yeah i mean i pretty much just followed it ever since then uh, playing in bands and stuff and that i mean that feeling of like playing in a room with a, a full band like a drummer and everything it was pretty infectious to me so i just kept following it so you kind of always had that since you were young, like, I want to be in music and performing. Yeah, ever since that, like, probably like 11, 12 years old, and like, I first started jamming out with my friends, I got pretty obsessed with it. Yeah. <laughs> so did you have any success with the bands early on? None of those like high school bands. I mean, the one was like kind of a popular cover band in the area and he actually the kid that was a singer is still does it in my hometown and he's actually like that's his job so still does the cover band yeah <laughs> it's, it's actually pretty impressive he's he turned it into like a whole business it's pretty crazy i didn't really have any kind of real success until like out of high school uh with the first band i was in so did you end up going to college or were you just kind of trying to make the music thing work after high school um i went to Temple University for one semester and I dropped out. It was not for me. So that band that you success with, Interparty System, kind of talk about that. So I joined that band because the same guy that was the drummer was a good friend of mine and I used to play in bands with him as a kid. And uh, he's actually still one of my best friends today. And actually he's in a group called Black Caviar right now. Oh yeah. I had him um, on the show about a month ago. Oh, Jared? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Jared, like me and Jared go way back. We used to play in bands when we were like 13. So, so yeah, basically, um, I don't know if he talked about it at all, but basically uh, they started this band called Inner Party System. Um, they knew I was like into electronic music at the time and playing guitar. And it was kind of like a half rock, half electronic band. So they were like, yo, let's get, Chris to come jam out and see what happens. And uh, yeah, it just kind of started there. It was during like MySpace era. So uh, we got like 
quite a bit of buzz on MySpace. Like a couple of our songs got like a lot of plays. I, I honestly I forget how it even worked back yeah. then. <laughs> but like people used to share it to their page, and uh, I remember it was just doing well, and we would get calls from like label execs, like this dude. I forget his name, but the one from Victory Records, he was like a really big guy. I remember he like called Jared and was like, hey, you guys need to sign a deal right now. <laughs> and we were like 19, like what? Yeah. And yeah, just kind of kept pursuing that. Um, our friend, we had a friend that worked at Island Records at the time and he ended up managing us. And basically, yeah, that was like my life for like seven years to a whole major label record deal shit yeah <laughs> yeah it's kind of funny like when people talk about like the golden era of soundcloud where you could just throw stuff up and then be hit up by a r's and all these people listening to you i feel like myspace mm -hmm. was almost like a bigger form of that for some people oh like, for I remember sure hearing dr p talk about that kind of a similar story where he uploaded like a minute and a half version of one of his big singles I forgot what it was but within like a day people had like ripped it and made like four minutes edit four minute edits and like put it on youtube and it had like millions of plays like just people find these things because there wasn't as much content as there was now for sure yeah yeah myspace was huge man um i, I could think of a couple other myspace acts like uh uh I, actually i mean i don't know if they like to talk about this but cash cash was kind of a myspace band their first single was like this huge MySpace song. Yeah. Of There's a party in your bedroom. Oh, damn. Yeah. I think even like Halsey developed mm. like her first initial fan base. I don't think she was even releasing music, but just as like a human developed a fan base on MySpace, switched oh. over and then started releasing music and has done pretty well since then. Wow. Yeah. So you were with Interparty System for about like seven years or so, you said. Mm -hmm. When did you first start thinking about doing more of like a solo artist project with production? For sure. Yeah. Um. So like... We kind of like, I mean, we always wanted to be like in DJ world and um, like we all were like huge fans of dance music and stuff. And but we kind of like we were fitting into more of like the rock world. So we would kind of like tell our agents and stuff, be like, yo, book us some more dance stuff. And like I would be like, I want to play after parties. I, I'm, I'm learning how to DJ. And and so we kind of started like dipping into that world a little bit and playing after parties, playing like cool. Uh, I mean, I call it blog house. Yeah. I think other people call it that. But like stuff like that. I remember there's a really cool party in uh, Philadelphia called Making Time Boys and Girls in New York City. I mean, I'm from the East Coast, so these are all like ingrained in me. But like <laughs> we would like, you know. In like Chicago, they would have cool kind of like built-in parties and yeah, basically just like trying to get on those and um, trying to just, yeah, get into that world more. And uh, that's kind of, kind of when I realized that like DJing, you could kind of just do it on your own. I mean, I know there's DJ duos and stuff, but like, I mean, I realized then that like, but there's definitely like bands are hard. Yeah. And there, <laughs> there's a lot of egos, there's a lot of uh, back and forth, a lot of, yeah, just spreading things thin, a lot of cooks in the kitchen where there's something beautiful about just like one person, you know, figuring it out, putting it out. It's one person's vision. Nothing gets messed up and it's yeah. just there. That's it. When did you decide and kind of first create the Wookiee project being like, hey, I need to, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this by myself. I guess, well, I was in a way I was forced to because the band just broke up. The singer just decided he didn't want to do it anymore. Basically, I wanted to keep going. I didn't want to stop touring. I still love electronic music. I loved, honestly, like I loved where everything was going, like all like the crazy, like it was right when like Skrillex was like blowing up is when we broke up which is so stupid honestly because we like we totally would, would have rode the wave into this new edm world and we would have been accepted we i mean literally the day we broke up was that we played global dance festival like the first one <sighs> yeah and i think like, it, there was i'm trying to think of um other examples of groups that were kind of in that like rock electronic hybrid that moved into edm there were some other successful acts that did that that just kind of pivoted yeah, there were, um, trying to think. Oh, Breathe Carolina. Yeah, Breathe Carolina was, yep. was a good example of somebody that yeah. like made that pivot of kind of being in that like, you know, rock, emo, electronic kind of hybrid scene and pivoted as things were kind of moving. Exactly. Yeah, we totally could have done it. 
but I mean, whatever. It's it's all a blessing in disguise because um, I'm definitely happier now just producing on my own. Just kind of like with getting your start, was your goal more so the shows? I'm kind of trying to like loop in where did production fit into all this and just, the you know, creating the music behind your artist project? I, I mean, I started producing for the band because I would make uh, like like a lot of the background stuff, like, you know, a lot of like the beats and stuff like that. But um, probably the biggest like catalyst for me is when I signed an EP to Ausla because we had known Sonny from before. Um, or I had known Sonny, whatever, and he uh, he told me about his label, and I remember like way back, uh, and like not thinking it was gonna be like a big deal. Like, I mean, not to like talk it down or anything, but just being like, yeah. oh, that's cool, man. And like, <laughs> and, everyone starts a label. You're like, cool, he, sweet, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he was like, yeah, send me music if you got it, and so. Uh, yeah. So basically after the band broke up, I was like, you know what? Sonny's blown up. I'm just going to try this route and just see what happens. And, uh, I sent him, um, some songs that ended up being the framework EP. Yeah. I don't don't know if you checked that out at all, but that was like one of the first things I ever put out, uh, as Wookiee. And, um, that, uh, that like really helped me out. It like really gave me a lot of motivation to, uh, kind of keep going down this route and definitely got me like a little more like respected as Wookiee versus just like that guy from inner party system. So kind of moving forward, you had a breaking point with your, um, was it the big Sean remix? Oh yeah. That was a pretty big one too. Yeah. That was around the, like probably a couple months after. Yeah. So kind of talk about that. Cause I feel like that's a track that if you know, your framework EP got you on the map that at least got you in DJ sets and got you way more publicity beyond that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that was a big one for me. Um, I mean, I think it kind of happened because RL Grime used to play something off that EP. And I think he just wanted a remix kind of like that. Um, so we reached out and uh, well, it's kind of funny, like the first remix I did did not sound like that at all. And my manager and my girlfriend at the time were like, you could do better. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and I went back in, completely redid it, rethought it. And, uh, and then actually I ended up doing it in like, like three hours or something like that, like this new idea. And, um, yeah. And then sent it over, they liked it. And what's super dope is that they ended up making it like the first release off the remix EP. Mm-hmm. It was the first track on the album. Um, and RL Grime was playing it a bunch and it got like a really, really big push. And that, that honestly, I think that's the reason I got a booking agent. That's the reason I started touring a little bit. So it's kind of crazy that like one song can actually be like a pretty big vehicle. Yeah. But even like with that, it was sequential steps, like getting in with the framework EP, getting on people's radar and then getting an RL Grime's radar, then being able to like remix. But still it was like one song that was just like the exponential catalyst for you it seems like yeah you're right i mean it is all these little baby steps and i mean to be honest that's how it's been my whole career i mean everybody's different some people blow up overnight but for me it's been like these incremental little pushes and uh yeah just grinding it out really (laughs) yeah and you know fast forwarding up fast forwarding kind of to now with incremental pushes you just got nominated for a Grammy award for your remix of Miley Cyrus's (laughs) hit uh, mother's daughter, which is incredible too. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. But that is, I mean, in a way that is one of those things for me because I know it is like so big, but I don't know. I wasn't expecting it and it just kind of came because I'm just doing the, the things that are right, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Like doing the things that are right, which is you get a remix request for a big artist, you do it, hope something comes from it, but don't expect anything. Exactly. Yeah. And just try your best every time. Try and make it as good as you can every time. So kind of sliding over into production, I really want to talk about how you kind of focused in on and kind of hone the sound that you have had for the past like four or five years. It's obviously a very, you know, DJ club friendly sound. Talk about how you kind of like fell into that niche that you've got now. Um, I guess it's just like, it's a product of all my influences. Like I'm a huge fan of just like simple, simple club music, Baltimore club, Philly club, Jersey club, even just like, just like raw techno, um, juke, 
trap uh you know and like yeah totally kind of just more like stuff that is really really more about like the kicks and the the drums in general and just like the groove and like using not necessarily like crazy sound design but like kind of cool ways to use synths and vocals to create a a soundscape if that makes yeah. sense i don't necessarily like ever do like a you know what i mean like i always kind of yeah. like chop the vocal in a weird way to make it sound a little more uh i don't know like syncopated does that make sense yeah no and i think that makes a ton of sense especially just giving off all of those influences that you just listed like it's a very three or four things going on at any point in time styles of music right. where <laughs> it's very rhythmic based it's very you know, not necessarily underproduced, but very like straightforward. We're going to focus on three or four elements and we're going to get those right. And there's going to be a rhythm and a groove to it, a bounce to it. Exactly. Yeah. That is kind of, that's kind of my sound. Yeah. 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 Have you ever like thought about when listening to kind of more overblown productions, which a lot of electronic music is, do you pull inspiration from those? Do you kind of think about producing things that are more blown out? Because I think a lot of people want to do things that are more simplistic versus others that want to do things more blown out. Um, I mean, I, I, I do tend to like, like stray away from that kind of stuff when I listen to it. Like it just, it's just not fun for me to listen to. Um, I know a lot of people love that stuff, but yeah. it's just not, it's really just not my cup of tea to be honest. It just, it blasts out my ears and it's just not <laughs> like, I don't know. It's not pleasing for me, but I tend to not do it but so i'm working on an album this year and there are a couple tracks that are kind of like they do fill that spectrum yeah um i'm trying to do it in my own way but uh i, I definitely try and stray away from like just like throwing like a huge fat pad in the big middle of a mix you know what yeah. i mean i try to like do something to make it more like a textured world i mean i think that's super important for anyone listening to develop a strong sense of taste with your music like it doesn't matter what it is but mm -hmm. the more that you can start to really hone on hone in on what exactly do you like about production the easier it's going to be to pump out ideas and get those to sound good too totally yeah and that's not even saying like i don't ever not like to listen to those things like sometimes i'll throw it on when i'm doing something else or whatever you know like working out yeah. like it's kind of kind of sick just to be blasted in the face but uh, it's just my preference when I make and DJ and stuff. So, yeah. How much would you say that the touring that you've done, obviously things have slowed down recently, but how much would you say the touring that you've done has kind of shifted what your sound is right now? Hmm. I would say, yeah, because I, I, I do play a lot of like EDM crowds and like yeah. the kids that want that like max maximize sound. So probably one thing that I've done is I've... <laughs> I've started doing like, I don't even know what to call it, but like, I guess kind of like that, like side trance kind of f four on the floor, 150 yeah. BPM type sound quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Cause that's kind of a way I could merge the EDM world with my sound and uh, still make those kids go crazy. And it's actually, it's, it's worked out pretty well. I think like one of the biggest reactions i get is the da 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 yeah and the vip like both of the both of those tracks always go off and it's kind of like to me it's like emerging those two worlds yeah i think that's something that i talk about in this podcast a lot like finding what you like finding what crowds like and then land somewhere in the middle with it i think another example exactly what you're talking about is you've got a uh, flip of grandmaster flashes the message uh -huh, which yeah. now that i'm you know now that i'm hearing you say that is exactly that you've got kind of your style in the first half more of a side trance club friendly style in the middle that yeah. merges those two <laughs> yeah yeah you're right so kind of on a production front i want to talk about when you're starting a track from scratch what does it look like so you got a blank slate, don't really have any idea in mind. What do those first steps look like for you to get an idea down? So I almost always use some kind of vocal first, always. Um, even if it's like the track isn't going to have a vocal at the end, I will just take a acapella or something and just throw it in there just so I could kind of get some ideas going. Um, it helps me a lot just even with like throwing a baseline underneath or something so usually i start there definitely drums i feel like 
just because drums are so important. I just, and they're fun for me to make. You just throw them in there and bam, you got a beat. So yeah. like, <laughs> like that, I definitely like do drums a lot. Um, I, I recently got into modular synths. So I've been like uh, making my own samples with the modular and then I'll like throw in stuff there too. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like a grab bag. It's not necessarily always one thing, but I I use samples quite a bit. Um, okay. I'll and I, I love one shots uh, because they're so low on CPU. Yeah, and just throw it like I, I don't know why it took me so long to do this, but I went through like the ringer, like all these VSTs and and like all these things. But I realized I fucking love one shots yeah. because you just throw them in the simpler. And they're just, it's so low on CPU. And sometimes you could actually make really cool shit if you put the warp, I, I use Ableton. And if you put the warp function on the simpler, you could actually get some pretty cool effects that yeah. way. So uh, yeah, I've been doing that a lot. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, and yeah, just kind of like building it out from there, really. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. A um, couple things to ask on that. I definitely want to talk about the sound design, which we'll touch on later, but... I feel like your vocals are essential part. They're always very forward and upfront. Do you have a general place that you go for, for vocals? Is it friends? Is it online? Kind of what is your strategy for that? Um, I definitely record a lot myself. Uh, that I think is totally a huge tool for any artist. Like, dude, if you have an iPhone, you have a good mic. Mm. Um, it's definitely good enough. In fact, it actually adds kind of like a cool compression distortion to it so it's like an instant lo-fi effect without having to do any processing on it yeah for sure so kind of jumping back into sound design so you said that at least nowadays it seems like most of the times if you're creating something whether it's like a synth or a bass it's going to be a lot of times a sample that you've either you know created with a modular synth or just gotten offline mm -hmm. so kind of like with that when you're working with that initial bass what are some of the things that you generally tend to do just to get more creative and interesting sounds from those initial one shot starting points? Um, so definitely, um, I will, uh, use the warping functions in Ableton a lot. Uh, like I'm sure a lot of people know this by now, but the texture, uh, function in yeah. Ableton and it, like, if you pitch it up and put the, texture all the way uh, i forget exactly what it's called but all the way to the left and like mess with that and the flux all the way to the left you could get some really really weird sounds um and then probably doing stuff like putting delays and reverbs on and bouncing the audio and you know cutting it up that way um because it'll just sound tighter than just throwing a reverb on or something um and then, uh, yeah, I mean, I use, uh, honestly, I use so many Ableton effects these days because it's just so fast. Yeah. Um, I, I also, I've been using Max for live effects, uh, which you get some pretty cool stuff through that. Anything for Max for live um, that you can think of that is like a go-to for you? Because most of those you've got to download. Most of them are free too, which is great. Yeah, I really like this one called Auto Fuzz. Um, I like one called Band distort it just distorts different bands and then also i mean this is a synth but i use this one called ocelot which is a modular synth inside of uh max for live which is pretty cool because you get some pretty random things and uh it's just fun to mess around yeah anything I would imagine kind of based off what you said, that distortion is a pretty important part of your sound. Anything oh, in terms sure, of yeah. third-party plugins that you would say is pretty important? Yeah. Um, I mean, oh, you know what? Okay, this has been like a huge tool of mine is a multi-pass by Kilohertz because I use a lot of the Kilohertz stuff. And um, multi-pass basically is, uh, how can I explain it? It's a multi-band uh, effects unit and you could put, all of the kilohertz plugins inside the the um, multipass. So literally, like any band, any whatever you could put into uh, multipass and put it on or any effect on any band. You know what I mean? So like yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's pretty low on CPU. So even if you just want to do an EQ or just like a low cut, 
it's actually really good for that too because you could just um you could do a hard low cut by literally just muting the lows and um so to me it's just a sick tool for sound design and like dude i mean another thing actually is just eq so there's so much shit you could do with just eq um i I actually learned this from peekaboo where he'll um he'll take a sine wave and just put the uh like a saturator on it a sine fold saturator i guess it could be any saturator and then he'll take the eq and just jack it up in like the mid-range like to the point where like it looks comical like it, it yeah it looks like it's not gonna sound good but then it adds like this super weird wonky character to the sine wave and then he'll bounce that to audio and then do like the tone or the texture thing i was talking about earlier in ableton and then it'll just sound like this crazy like wonky and uh yeah. i'm pretty sure that's what he did on um baba tuned or however the fuck you say that yeah um so i've been doing shit like that um just honestly just mangling stuff as much as you can and you end up getting some pretty cool results and even time stretching like using yeah. uh like the beats or any of the time stretching effects honestly and just like stretching it out stretching it out stretching it out and then like bouncing it down and then stretching it out more or whatever you know like there's a lot of crazy shit you could do honestly <laughs> i kind of like to think about a lot of that is doing things that are unintended with all those different plugins like the time stretching warp mode and algorithm in ableton isn't made to like genuinely and cleanly play things nine times as fast or nine times as slow but you can get all of these weird grainy artifacts from mm-hmm. it that can be great for like a modern edm track definitely yeah hundred percent yeah i mean just listening to like some other like edm guys especially the dubstep guys like they uh they definitely do shit like that like i'm pretty sure heckler like a lot of his sound design is just it kind of sounds just like it's just stretched to hell and like mangled to hell so yeah yeah. like even that eq thing sounds like you're breaking ableton live's eq to get weird distortion that it's not meant to do but you can use an eq just like grab exactly what you want from it totally yeah so I think one thing that I'm sure a lot of producers that produce heavier styles of electronic music struggle with is when they're dealing with the mangling of different sounds and adding distortion, things can get harsh really quickly. So kind of talk about how do you make sure that you're keeping a quote unquote clean sound, not anything too harsh when you're trying to get more interesting textures. So I, I'm pretty sure most people know this plugin by now, but Soothe is huge. Yes. Um, I love Soothe. Uh, that other one, Golfoss, I was using for a little bit. That one's pretty nice too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Soothe, EQ, and then also just making sure nothing clashes in that area too much. Like, what is that? Like, 1 to 3K is yeah. like the area that's like really harsh. Um, yeah, just making sure you don't have too much going on there. I mean, I'm not the best at it either. Sometimes I listen <laughs> back to my mixes. I'm like, ooh, that's a little harsh. But, <laughs> yeah. you know. I don't know. Some, but then sometimes I listen to like other people's mixes, like like really really big artists, like you know like Snake or like Mala, and they kind of they keep that harshness in there. Or even yeah. like Chemical Brothers, go listen to a Chemical Brothers record. They like they love to keep that shit in there. And I don't know. Uh, oh. I know I I get that too. It's like a it's a style thing, and for me it's a bit. Um, like draining and exhausting for my ears especially when you're producing that you like want to get that stuff out but yeah there's a lot of like successful records that aren't crystal clean when it comes to the high end i feel you yeah so obviously kick bass are a essential part of your sound a big thing that electronic producers struggle with is mixing kick and bass so how do you kind of mirror those two so that they're both big and loud in the mix which they are quite commonly in your music but not clashing over into each other so I mean, obviously sidechain, but um, to be honest, what I've been doing, I've I've actually just been putting everything to audio and just literally doing fades for yeah. the so there's nothing clashing. There's no way there's clashing, and uh, that has been pretty successful for me. And then the other thing is like making sure uh or or thinking about what kind of kick the track needs um because sometimes you want a different kind of kick for different kinds of things like sometimes you want like a thuddy muddy not tuned kick 
like for like a trappier song or something maybe poppier or dance holly mm-hmm. but then if you something like uh like a four on the floor uh 150 bpm track where you want the kick to almost just be the right like the carrier of the music yeah you might want like a thick kind of like smacking tuned kick from like a cashmere pack or something mm-hmm. that is like tuned to e and it's just like boom 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 uh so that's the first thing is to like think about like what does this track need what does it need this kind of kick this kind of kick and then after that it's really like just picking the sample and making sure yeah things aren't fighting i i for the longest time i was playing around with side chaining and like using ableton side chain using volume shaper but yeah uh, to be honest man like yeah just bouncing the audio and just doing a fade is like it it just always works yeah <laughs> so i've just been doing that <laughs> yeah i think um kind of with that too going back on what you were saying earlier there's a big difference between a good sample and the right sample for your track mm-hmm. for example like you know pretty much all of the kicks in a Kashmir pack are going to be very very good but they might not be the right one for your song so Totally. The thing that I always recommend to uh, people that are struggling with that is just like listen to a reference track, listen to the way that their kick's hitting in a 150 BPM track or in like a hip hop track. Just get a sense for the tone of it and then look for a sample that's kind of like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're going to reference something, definitely reference something that's like the track you're making for sure. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about the production and mixing. I'm curious, what does your process look like for mastering? Because, you know, assuming things are kind of out of the way because you bounced everything to audio, you're still pushing these things very loud. So I'm kind of curious what that looks like. Um, so I don't want to get on my high horse here because I'm not, (laughs) I'm really not like the best at mastering. I, I've kind of found that it's really more about the mix, just get the mix to a point where like you like the dynamics it sounds loud so like um a big mistake i made in the beginning was working with something on the master and that that's just like a recipe for making a shitty mix so definitely take things off the max master first then start mixing it and don't worry about how loud it is yet just get it to sound right Mm -hmm. um because there's a volume knob for a reason you could just turn it up and see how it's gonna sound yeah, getting like a being getting the mix right and then once you have the mix at a point where you think it sounds pretty good or pretty close then try and throw on i mean all i do is i'll throw on a couple uad plugins like i use the poltec eq because i really like how that brings out the high end i might do a sausage fattener sometimes <laughs> maybe because it just it yeah. does add some kind of weird glue and distortion that is kind of nice sometimes depends on the track mm-hmm. and then i'll do a uad limiter or sometimes i do the ozone limiter yeah that's really it to me it's more about the mix i mean i think that's a common mantra that you hear like a good master starts in the mix for sure yeah so one thing that i want to talk about with your production style overall Anyone who's a fan of your music knows that you keep things simple, but you change things all the different time, all the time. Like there's different switch ups for each section, each um, even within a section, there's going to be all these different types of variation. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious on your end. How do you find that balance between introducing all of those different switch ups without overwhelming the listener just to keep things as simple as possible with that kind of straight line moving forward with the main focus of your track? I, I guess because I guess like the way to do it for me is to kind of just use some of the same elements, but just chop it up in a different way. Um, since a lot of it is sample based anyway, it kind of, to me, makes sense to just rearrange it a little bit. And it doesn't even have to be that different. I mean, I personally just, I, I all my favorite dance records always have some kind of variation. So I think, yeah, I think it it's just a balance. You don't want to do too much. You don't want to make it sound like a completely different song. Yeah. And but you want to use some of the same elements, but make it still exciting to listen to. Because when you are a producer like me, you don't have all these crazy wubs and sound design stuff going on. The way that you keep the listener interested is, in my opinion, is to you know throw them for a loop kind of and never have them expect what's going to come. So, yeah. 
So you kind of talked about how using simpler and using more one shots has been like a big benefit to your workflow over the past few years. I'm kind of curious, you've worked with a ton of different collaborators over the years, like Valentino Khan, uh, Diplo, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and a bunch of other really great producers. I'm kind of curious in working with them, has there been any like big lessons that you've kind of taken away that have just shifted your mindset towards production? Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, Valentino, is one of those guys that breaks a lot of rules uh so the way he worked was pretty cool to watch like actually like i I know i brought up peekaboo before but he's one of the reasons i do that weird eq thing too because in our track uh better he completely changed the synth by just like he put it in three different channels and he just eq'd each one in like the weirdest way yeah and uh yeah it was like one of those like comical eqs he showed it to me i was like what the fuck it's like the eq curves they use to like show off the new fab filter (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) exactly and um yeah he uh he showed me that and i was like oh shit i should do this more and uh so i mean that was pretty cool and then um uh yeah and then working with who else let me think who else i've kind of learned from I mean, I, I've done some stuff with Sonny, so like just seeing the way he works is pretty inspiring, to be honest. Probably one thing I've taken from him is that he will like, he just keeps moving. He'll consolidate something and then just like go to the next thing. Like yeah. he, like I, I thought I was good about like bouncing things to audio and like, you know what I mean? Like getting rid of the plugins and like freezing and flattening, but he's just, he's constantly doing it constantly, constantly. And then yeah. like, he'll make a new one and then freeze that. And then a new one and freeze that. So I realized that that is pretty powerful too, actually. Yeah. Just the, the ability to make quick decisions is critical as a producer. I remember one of my instructors talking about that with uh, Sam Vogel jaws that he could just like say yes or no so quickly. And it's not like he was just fast in Ableton. He was fast making production decisions too. Mm. Yeah, that that's, uh, that's a good point. I mean, sometimes I probably need to be better at that. Get that. So kind of like catching us up to right now, obviously things are a little bit different with quarantine. You do a lot of shows, so you're definitely in a di- bit of a different um, scenario right now. But one thing that you've been picking up a lot is your Twitch streaming. So kind of talk about what you've been doing on that. Yeah, so I have been... So it's pretty cool. Um, I've been, I mean, mostly I've just been DJing. Uh, a lot of people tend to really, really react to the DJ sets and like them. And um, because, I mean, a, a lot of fans aren't producers, so they just want to like hear music while they're hanging out and stuff. Um, so I, yeah, I've been doing that, which is really fun for me because I could play like just kind of like, I mean, I know this sounds stupid, but anything I want. Yeah. Where like, I mean, at like these EDM shows and, uh, like, you know, festivals, you want to, I'm not catering to the crowd, I would say, but I am putting a festival set on. I'm entertaining the crowd for sure. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I kind of have it planned out and I'm making sure everything smacks and is huge and crazy and it's going to mm-hmm. make people freak out where it's like on these streams, I could kind of like take a step back and play more like kind of the silly stuff that I like, like I was talking about before, like all like the yeah. Be More and Jersey and uh like um ghetto tech or whatever and like that in a way it's kind of making me fall back in love with djing a little bit i i guess in a way i might have been a little burnt out on it so that has been really fun and then i've been doing uh some feedback streams where i have people send in their demos and uh i just kind of review them give them tips give them my honest feedback and I have a disclaimer that says, like, I'm not the end all be all. Like, <laughs> just because I don't like something doesn't mean other people won't. Yeah. But I give my pretty, like, I give my honest feedback on everything. So I think, I think people appreciate that because, like, when you send it to your friends, like, sometimes they're like, that's cool, man. Mm-hmm. You just want more. So, totally. <laughs> anything else that, you've learned in doing the kind of feedback streams because I feel like just on my end teaching music production for the past three, four years, you've, I've learned a lot just by listening to kind of more beginner intermediate music. So I'm curious if there's been anything else that you've kind of taken away from that. Um, probably that like one thing I've learned is that like a lot of people are insanely talented. Yeah. Number one, like there's so many good producers out there. Uh, probably number two is that, uh, I don't know, I guess that, 
there is just there's a pretty steep learning curve with these things and i i i sometimes yeah. i forget how far i've come and that you know it is it's a hard thing and you just got to keep practicing and don't ever be too judgmental of yourself because and don't compare yourself because there's always going to be somebody better that's like insanely good i mean some of these kids sending shit it's like better production than i do i think yeah but it's okay this is a good one it's more about your ideas than the production quality that is that is 100 percent true i think because you uh, people remember a good song they don't remember how good a snare sounded so I want to talk about a track that you got coming up called Chicken Wing with Diplo. It's going to be, I believe, one of the first singles off of your album. First off, just kind of talk about how that initially came up. Yeah, so actually, I mean, there's a huge story behind that song. Um, it's kind of yeah. funny. Uh, so it actually started out with a vocal that Diplo gave me almost like four years ago now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is a pretty crazy story. And it was like... It was actually during the years of Jack U and uh, Diplo sent me that vocal. I made a demo that sounded totally different than what's going to come out. It had like this weird kind of like trappy bouncy drop. And um, I sent it to him and Sonny at the time and they wanted to make it a Jack U collab for like for like six months. I was like, yes, I'm going to have a Jack U collab. (laughs) And then Jack U broke up. (laughs) (laughs) and uh so i was like fuck and then i was sitting on it for a bit and um basically uh i i mean i'm sure other producers can relate to this but you sit on a track too long you kind of stop liking it yeah and that happened to me and you know it's also not even just me i think time passes and like trends change sounds change and your demo just doesn't sound as good anymore yeah. And um, so basically I rethought it. I was like, well, Jack U's not gonna happen anymore. Diplo's still down to make this a collab. I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it again and make it something I like. Actually, I did that almost like a year ago to this date, I think. Jeez. Um I flipped it into what is gonna come out soon. And I yeah, I basically just like rethought the track redid it uh went back to diplo i was like yo do you like this direction and he was like yo this is fucking awesome yeah and then uh he came through to my studio and we just kind of wrapped it up yeah and it's crazy i'm yeah. stoked for it <laughs> yeah i'm pretty excited for it, it it's definitely different <laughs> yeah <laughs> sweet so so i kind of want to loop things into what your current situation looks like I think a lot of people have a lot of ample free time right now figuring out what to do with it. So I'm just curious, what does a typical day look like for you, at least right now? So I, um, I'm on like the worst schedule ever. I, <laughs> I sleep till like 1230 and I stay up till like 5am. Um, so yeah, so basically I wake up, I'll probably do some yoga in the sun. Um, Cause that just kind of like, I don't know, starts yeah. my day off right, try to get some sun, drink my coffee. And then once I get my yoga in, I will, uh, yeah, sit down, start working on what I want to work for for the day. Um, I might do a little inspiration, kind of listen to SoundCloud or just music for a second and vibe out. And then, uh, I mean, I have a huge list of things I need to get done pretty much all the time for my album, um, which is actually getting pretty small now, which is cool. So, um, yeah. And then I, the night before I'll kind of plan out what I want to, what I want to work on because that just helps me approach it a little bit better. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I, then I just get to work because I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty creative in the morning, um, or whatever afternoon when I wake up. (laughs) And that's when I like my brain is working really well and I'll just kind of like get into it, get grinding for like three hours, maybe two or three hours. And then usually around then I kind of need a break. My ears are a little shot. And usually around then actually I go for like a nice long walk with my girlfriend, just and and my dog and some nature 
right now that's about all we can do so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah do that kind of recharge maybe s- get back hang out with my girl for a little bit and then um uh it's kind of like a grab bag i might mess around with my modular i might uh come back in keep working what i was working on um and then i try to do like another three to four hours grinding out on my list to make sure i get like my work done and then after i do that i'll probably take another break maybe have dinner hang out my girl for a little bit more and then uh and then it's kind of like by this time i'm probably a couple edibles deep um (laughs) Maybe I'll start a new idea. Maybe I'll make a stupid edit. Maybe I'll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this is when I'll just start making like really, really dumb shit and like kind of like, like experimenting, fucking around. Um, because I'll, I'll get like really, really stupid ideas, like just either watching TikTok or like just watching videos or something. Yeah. Be like, oh my God, I should flip that. That'd be hilarious. Or like, uh, I don't know. You know, this is what I kind of miss about like going out and like hanging out with people and stuff is that I would, when I live life, I get better ideas for edits and stuff, I think. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm just like, I'm in the store. I hear a song. I'm like, Oh my God, that'd be funny to do this or whatever, you know? So like, I'm kind of missing that a little bit right now. Um, yeah. I mean, that's about what it looks like. And then, uh, after I kind of get spent out on that last session, I'll just uh, hang out a little bit more, watch some TV. Usually my brain is fried by then. And uh, yeah, just pass out. It's usually yeah. like four or five then. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, I feel like I've been talking with a lot of my friends about that too. A lot of my music friends recently, where it's just like those things that you normally go to for like your pool of creativity and inspiration for a lot of people aren't there as much, whether it's touring, going out and seeing friends. So for mm-hmm. me, I've just been like working on finding new avenues to kind of get that. Um, just like yeah. finding new places that I could just get inspired by. Yeah. Have you found anything? Um, hiking a lot more, listen to way more music. Yeah. Um, I, I've been listening to more music too, actually, which is cool. Yeah. Cause I feel like it's going to shows, which has always been my main inspiration, but like mm-hmm. watching like a, I don't know, like watching shows on YouTube just doesn't do it for me. And like, I appreciate all, all the artists doing Instagram live streams, but like, that's not making me want to like sit down and work any harder. So I feel you, dude. I, it is. I mean, it's like, I, it, sometimes it feels a little like, uh, not desperate as in the way of like, Oh, look at me, look at me. But desperate as in like, I had like, I want it back so bad. You know, like all of us are just like, I need EDM. Yeah. Yeah. But it's okay. I, I really think it's going to come back fairly soon. I hope so at least. So you mentioned earlier that you're kind of in the stages of working on an album, and I believe that's your first album, right? Yes, it is. What was your mindset going into creating an album after having this project for seven years or so now? So, yeah, I guess um, two things. Like, number one, um, I've been all over the place for all my years of Wookiee. Like, I, no one... Only recently, I've kind of developed my own sound, I think. I think, like, I've had, I've kind of had, like, Deep House stuff out there, Night Bass World. I've had, like, Trappy stuff out there. So people may have been a little confused on what the Wookiee sound is. Yeah. And I really wanted to, like, show people that. And the other thing is, is that I think a lot of people know me for my edits and not necessarily my original music. So mm-hmm. I also really wanted to like show the world that like, yo, I'm also just a producer. I'm not just an edit maker. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. And it just, I don't know. It just felt right. I had, I have so much music I've been sitting on and it, to me, it like, it all sounds like a body of work. So I really wanted to, yeah, just wrap it all together and kind of make a moment around it. And yeah, just, I've never done it and it just, it just seemed right. I don't know. Sweet. So a few more questions, then we'll wrap things up. We've got a lot of newer producers listening to this podcast. What advice would you give to somebody that just started out producing to give them the best chance moving ahead with music? So I think um, it's, it's a few things. I think, uh, I think number one, just keep practicing, just keep doing it because no matter what, like the next thing you make is going to be better. You're always going to get better. 
also not to get too wrapped up on one song. Sometimes, I mean, I would do this and just spend forever on one track, one track, one track. And it's like, um, there's a point of diminishing returns if you work too hard on one thing where you want to, you basically just want to get the point of the song done. Sometimes manage your expectations. Like just realize that like not every song is going to be your biggest song. Yeah. And it's really, it's a quality game, but it's also a quantity game these days. You you Mm want to just keep making stuff. Um, I, I kind of, I relate the music industry to like archery. Like we're all kind of like shooting arrows and they're just shooting, 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 shooting eventually one of those are going to hit a target that to me that was like the miley cyrus remix i didn't know that was going to be that i was just i was just shooting arrows and and one hit a bullseye i think if you shoot enough arrows you'll hit a bullseye so i think that is probably good and then also just attitude like nobody wants to work with a dick so (laughs) like just like staying humble staying professional like if you have beef with someone or an issue with someone just email them don't air it out on twitter like that's such a bad look i don't care how big you are yeah like email them (laughs) like don't (laughs) tell the world um and yeah just try your best to always take the high road be professional but also cover your ass get a lawyer or at least look up some law have you know if you're gonna sign anything definitely like get a lawyer to look at it because like even management deals, like there's sunset clauses. Like I've had friends get wrecked by sunset clauses. Yeah. You always want to look at that shit and, and just have fun. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. sometimes, I mean, this happened, this has happened to me. It's happened to a lot of my friends where like you kind of get burnt out on it and it's like, nothing is working. And you're like, uh, why can't I get more people to listen to my music? And I think you got to, uh self-awareness is huge like you just got to be honest with yourself be like is this good enough is it is the reason just that it isn't good enough like yeah and always kind of like take that approach first and be like all right maybe i could just be better and Mm -hmm. go from there yeah sweet so in terms of what's going to be coming up for you for the next few months, um, Chicken Wing, if it's, um, I'll leave a link in the description, if it's a pre-save or a stream so people can check that out. Obviously, mm-hmm. you've got your album coming out, you've got your Twitch streaming, which it seems like you're doing weekly. Anything else that you've got coming up that I missed? Um, No, just the album. Oh, and then uh, the next single is going to be a track with Juvenile, so that's pretty dope. Sweet. Yeah, but yeah, just I'm um, streaming, streaming every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 pst and uh yeah come hang out with me awesome <laughs> sweet well with that we'll wrap things up this episode you can find chris's music in the description of this episode so go give it a listen as this podcast is just about over chris be great chatting with you appreciate you being on the show hey thanks for having me man this is fun